everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us. And we are now wrapping up a what has been a nine-part series where we've been just talking about deconstruction and people who are leaving or thinking about leaving the church or believing that maybe the church is an outdated model. And then ultimately, we've been talking about people not who are leaving the church that way, but really people who, through that reason or another reason, whatever, are just starting to kind of lose their faith and are starting to really question and really think just kind of what what even is real, who is Jesus. I mean, just kind of just a lot of different kinds of questions, not just deconstructing the structure or the idea of church or believing that church has been harmful but it has kind of led them in one way or another to a personal faith crisis. We spent some time talking about the origins of that. We spent some time talking about how we can be more kind and empathetic. And then we spent some time talking about how we can rebuild. And we've been doing a sermon series along with this, just kind of talking about three really important theological truths about the love of God, the brokenness of sin, and the need for Jesus. And then we talked about reclaiming just our our, our need to be together and how important it is for us to take this hope to other people. And in the course of that, we've also spent some time just kind of with this podcast, kind of answering kind of some big, some big picture, you know, challenging questions that go along with those five topics from the sermon series. And so I'd encourage you, if this has been interesting to you to make sure you catch all these episodes, but make sure you've also caught all five uh, sermons in that series as well. And we're going to wrap it up here today, kind of just with a big picture question for, again, people who may be having some, some struggles right now with their faith. It's like, and the, and the question is, what am I supposed to do with doubt? If I am doubting, if I'm beginning to question, if I'm beginning to think maybe God isn't real, maybe that Jesus isn't real, maybe all of this is just nonsense, maybe there's nothing but just this world or Maybe all the maybe all the things that I taught maybe that maybe they're just wrong, right? And you just start to ask these questions, like what what am I supposed to what am I supposed to do with that? Because depending on who you are, depending on the nature of those doubts that you've had, and depending on the church or the type of Christians that you have interacted with, there is a really good chance, probably a better than fifty percent chance. We'll put it in the seventy percent range there is a really good chance that as you have expressed these doubts, you have been made to feel shame about it. Or you've never expressed any doubts because you, you have already been, it's been communicated to you one way or another that it is shameful to have doubts. That if you have strong faith that you'll never doubt. And if you have doubts that that means that there is something wrong with you personally. And that therefore a doubt is something that you just have to just kind of pray away or just kind of psych yourself into you. Like you're not supposed to ask questions because good Christians don't ask questions. Good Christians just believe. And what is most important is kind of blind faith and trust and that you don't ask questions of God that is disrespectful. And it shows weakness on your part because the really strong Christians never really doubt or waver in any way in their faith. So that has been communicated to you in some way. And so not only now are you having doubts about your faith, but now you are feeling shame about yourself for having those doubts. And again, very likely 
In addition to that shame, you're starting to feel some isolation from people in your community. And so this kind of is going to run along two tracks. It's like, one, what do I do if I'm the one that's doubting? But that's primarily the track that we're going to run in. But if that's not where you currently are, I would encourage you to listen to this and think about this is the way that you need to treat and think about someone who is doubting. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two very different stories from the life of Jesus, where Jesus is encountering someone who is experiencing some doubt. They've had, they've had or have a faith in Jesus, but at one particular moment in their life, they express some doubt. The first one that we're going to look at is one that is probably the most famous of these. Um, it is around one of the 12 disciples, and his name is Thomas. And this story was so popular that in most churches, Thomas is not considered to be Thomas's first name. It's his last name. His last name is Thomas, and his first name is Doubting. Good old Doubting Thomas. And this one moment, and this is, this, this is, this I think really kind of hits at what I was saying that we just attach a lot of shame to questioning or to wondering. Because this dude, I mean, he was like this incredible missionary into uh, the country of India is fairly revered in lots of parts of India because of his service there and bringing the movement to India. I mean, had accomplished some incredible things in his life and yet is primarily known for one small moment where now he is, this adjective is forever associated with his name, Doubting Thomas. So of course, I mean, it's like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a Doubting Thomas. If you grew up in Sunday school, this was in the 52-week rotation of the 52 Bible stories that we heard every year growing up. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Let's just, let's just break down this story here just real quick. Because I think we have, we have, as very often is the case, we have misunderstood this story. So Jesus is back from the dead, and he has shown himself to different people, to Mary Magdalene, to to some of his disciples, but we will discover in John chapter uh, 20 in verse 24 that Thomas was not with them the first time that Jesus appeared. So verse 24, John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So they tell him, hey, um, Jesus is back. He's like, you say, but until I see it myself, I'm not going to believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So he was told by the disciples, by the other disciples, that Jesus was back and he initially didn't believe it. He said, I'm about to see this for myself before I really believe it. And one, for me, and I think the story is going to bear this out a little bit, what a very, very reasonable thing to feel. Like, can you imagine the level of grief 
and frustration and disappointment that he felt over the course of the three days that Jesus was dead and just the amount of hurt and for people to come to him and say, hey, guess what? We just saw him. It's like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can give my heart fully to that just based on what you say because of the just the amount of overwhelming sadness and grief that I'm experiencing. I can't allow myself to get up. Just think about the humanness of this. Don't think about it in terms of whether or not Thomas is believing the right things, but the humanness of that someone that I thought was, was the savior of the world was executed in a horrific way and ripped from us. And my whole life has been turned upside down. And someone that I considered one of my best friends and the best mentor I've ever had and someone that I was deeply drawn to has now been murdered. And now, oh, we saw him. Like, ah, I don't know that I can give into that. What a very normal, reasonable thing for him to feel. And like, like the, other, the other 11, well, well, the other 11 didn't doubt. The other 11 had already seen him, right? Like who, who's given Thomas grief here? Peter? Bartholomew? Thaddeus? James, the son of Alphaeus, like who's giving him, who's giving him grief here? You all already, you got to see him. I didn't see, you know, like you don't get to come me. Anyways, we give him this hard time, but it is a very real human thing. Oh, but Jesus rebukes him. And I'm like, mm, show me where he rebukes him. He goes to Thomas. Thomas didn't ask. Thomas didn't ask him. Jesus, of course, being Jesus, who just knows things, he went without being asked. He went directly to Thomas and engaged with him. He knew the doubts uh, that they were doubting the report that the other disciples had given. He knew that. And he initiated with him, come and see. He met him in his doubt. Let me serve you by helping alleviate your doubt. Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out. This is what you said that you needed to believe. Let me do this for you. Please stop doubting and believe. And he does, he confesses. But then Jesus says this, and this is the rebuke, so so to speak. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it's better, it's better to not see and believe. So it's like, you don't want to be like Thomas who had to see to believe. You want to be one of the blessed ones who doesn't see and yet believes. I got, I got a bit of a news flash here for all you doubting Thomases out there. Um, there isn't anything that can happen in your life that will not make you someone who is in the blessed category. You can have all the doubts in the world you can resolve them any number of ways. If you have any faith at all, you are in the blessed category because you have you you were not that you have not seen the resurrected Jesus. You haven't. And so your faith that you have even if it's small, even if it's even if it's tumultuous at this time, if it's kind of up and down, if you feel like it's decaying, you maybe feel like you're losing it. You haven't seen the resurrected Jesus. So no matter what level of doubts that you have, you are still going to be in the blessed because whatever resolution that you come to is still going to come without having the experience that Thomas had. So that is not a rebuke on Thomas. It is actually a commendation for all of us who live in, a, in the time since Jesus was taken back into heaven. 
So there's n- there's no indication here that Thomas is being rebuked. In fact, he's being fully engaged by Jesus. And he doesn't rebuke Thomas. He just commends the people like us later on who, who, who never get a chance to see Jesus face to face, but believe in who Jesus was and what he did. And so, sure, Thomas did have some doubts, but that doesn't make him any different than anyone else in the story. Because again, the other 11 had already seen him. So this is not a story that should dissuade doubting. This is a story that is uniquely tied to a very specific circumstance for Thomas. The other disciples had an opportunity to see. He has as yet had not. He wanted to see because of his own personal grief. But you know what? The people who are blessed, the people who are never going to get this opportunity to believe in Jesus. And that's you. Again, no matter where your faith is right now, however it is that you resolve this by asking these sorts of questions, um, however it gets resolved, you're still going to be in that blessed category. Now, there is another one that I think is probably more along the lines of kind of what we would consider someone who is having a, a real crisis of faith, a real crisis of faith. And it actually comes from what I think to be, would be considered perhaps the most shocking person apart from Jesus himself that could have such a faith crisis. And it's from John the Baptist. And we are in Luke chapter seven. And so John the Baptist has been arrested and is in prison. And if you don't know who John the Baptist is, he's Jesus's, he's Jesus's cousin for one and had a supernatural birth, not to the level that Jesus did, but it was announced by an angel. Um, he's like six months older than Jesus and was set up to be kind of, kind of a forerunner, someone who is going to proclaim before Jesus starts his public ministry, hey, uh, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And and we have in his first public kind of encounter with Jesus, publicly declares in front of everyone, this is the one, this is who I've been talking about. So they knew each other growing up. They both had these kind of epic births, and I'm sure that they absolutely knew each other's stories because they knew each other, they were related. And as adults, when they launched their ministries and they connected for the first time, John publicly declares who Jesus is. John, Jesus asked John to baptize. Like, man, I can't baptize you. You're like Jesus, man. I like you baptize me. I don't. I don't baptize you. He's like, do this. And he basically says, hey, this is the this is the one I've been talking about. So a very public, bold declaration of faith from someone who's known Jesus his entire life, had a very public ministry supporting, proclaiming Jesus. Luke seven verse eighteen. So John's in prison, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So John's in prison and his couple of, he's talking to a couple of his followers and they're telling him all these things that Jesus has been doing and what's going on. And it says here that John told his two disciples to go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? Think about that for a second. We've already, he's baptized Jesus. He was there when the, the voice from heaven came out. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. He publicly declares and tells everyone that this is Jesus. 
This is the Messiah. This is the, this is the one I've been talking about. And now in prison, he gathers two of his disciples together and says, can you go ask him if he's the one? Like, man, what's happened to this dude's life? Well, he was, he's arrested. He's been in jail for, for teaching about God, for rebuking powerful people um, of their sin. And now he's in prison and he's going to die here really soon. He's going to have his head cut off. And he is incredibly discouraged. He's, I'm sure, insanely overwhelmed. And he's smart enough to know that this imprisonment, like, you don't, you don't call out the king for essentially accusing, essentially, of the murder of his brother and stealing his wife. You don't, you don't do that and go to prison and somehow get out and live a happy life. He knows it's just a matter of time. And he is overwhelmed and discouraged to the point to where John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who baptized him, heard a voice from God in heaven and publicly told people that Jesus is the one, is now sending people asking Jesus, are you the one? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us, sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So we replied to the messengers. Let's just stop here for a second. If everything that you have been raised to believe or understand about Christians and doubts, what do you think Jesus' response is going to be here? What is the response that that Jesus' representatives give to people? who have this level of faith crises that John the Baptist is having right here. I mean, you would have to imagine a rebuke is coming, right? Something, something. This is not going to be, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, let me tell you what she's telling. Let me tell you what she's telling. So I replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So it's not, a, it's not a rebuke. He sends back a message of encouragement. Everything that you know that I'm supposed to be about is exactly what's happening. You, know, you baptized me. You, we had all these things. And now you've been in prison. And exactly what was supposed to happen has been happening. And hang in there. Now, you can read all of this with a tone if you would like, I suppose. Well, let me tell you, go back and report where you've seen and heard. Blind receive sight, lame walk, leprosy is clean, deaf ear, dead or raised, good news plain to curl. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, right? Like some sort of sarcastic attitude with him. Like, I'm not going to answer your dumb question. I'm just going to just tell, I mean, obviously, bro, duh. You could read that, but that's not what happened. That is not what this is. This is not anger. It's not frustration. You, you're, you're, putting, you're putting that tone in there. He says, what am I supposed to, are you the one? And he's like, I'm exactly what's supposed to be happening is happening. Don't stumble. Don't stumble. Hang in there. It's a, it's a word of encouragement to him because then what he goes on in verse 24 he starts talking about he starts talking about John. He's like, hey, when you went out to go see John, what did you what did you go out there to see? You didn't see you, know, you see somebody all real nice, real pretty. 
say nice things. No, man, you saw it. You saw a, a, a you're not a man dressed in fine clothes, not somebody expensive. What did you see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Verse 28, I tell you among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. This is what he immediately says about John while he's in the middle of his doubts. Like, I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. That in, in this instance, someone who has experienced more miraculous things than any of us probably ever will, has had multiple face-to-face encounters with Jesus, has publicly declared him as a crisis of faith, and Jesus steps into it and supports him, and still, while he's in this struggle, uplifts who he is. And so wherever you are, do not for one second believe that Jesus is mad at you. Do not believe for one second that Jesus is disappointed in you. He may be grieving with you. He may be sad for you. He wants you back. He wants you fully. He wants your doubts to be put aside. And he is, he, we, we have no examples of him doing anything other than actively engaging with the person who is doubting and giving them exactly what they need, be it Thomas or be it John the Baptist. We don't have any, we don't have any examples well, when there's some times where he rebuked his disciples for their unbelief or whatever, it's like, what? You're talking about, he, he gave them a mission and they couldn't or wouldn't do it because they didn't trust him enough. Okay, that's different. It's different than a crisis of faith. That's just not what, that's not what that is. Him, him, him being frustrated with his disciples for their lack of faith, um, that they did not have the belief in order to do the thing that they, he called them to, people who fully followed him, but didn't trust him enough to do the things that he'd called them to do. That's very different. That's very different than a crisis of faith. That's just different things. The two best examples we have of anything that could be close to a crisis of faith, one is Thomas, which I don't think is a great example for contextual reasons. The best example we have is John the Baptist. But in both of these instances, Jesus engages with the person right where they are, says what they need to hear, and is only affirming of them. I mean, you can say that in both instances, he says that he is also more affirming, maybe, of people who aren't stumbling. Maybe he, you know, blessed are people who see, who don't see, right? Maybe you've got these things, but there's nothing, there's not not one negative word, not one negative word is said about Thomas or John the Baptist. And just because he's saying blessed or happy is the one who believes happy is the one who's not stumbling. I think you would agree with that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree that when you're not stumbling, you feel more blessed? That's not a rebuke. That's an encouragement. That's, a, that's an exhortation. That is a pulling. I don't want this for you. I don't want you to be stumbling. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be happy. I want you to be connected. I want your relationship to be thriving. That's what I want. And that's what you want too. And so what I want you to genuinely believe, whatever sort of faith crisis you're having, whatever doubts that you're having, I want you to feel like that you can be honest with them at least to God. I want that for you. And I want you to believe that God is going to meet you in that, that he is going to meet you in your, in your concern, in your challenge, in your, in your understanding. He's going to meet you where you are. And what he wants is for you to be blessed. He wants, you to, he wants you to work through this. 
Because ultimately, if you do, I think you'll find that your faith is stronger, which is what you see in the life of Thomas. John the Baptist, we don't really get, we don't get a report. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't last, he didn't last much longer after this. But I would imagine he's encouraged. And I think you will be too, because God will meet you. If you'll give him the opportunity, I believe that Jesus will meet you in the midst of your confusion, your hurt, your misunderstanding. And I think the way that it's designed to work is not only is Jesus going to meet you there, but I think he wants his people to meet you there too. And so I think it is important for you to find safe places where you can express some of these concerns, express the questions that you have, the doubts that you have, the hurts that you have, the hangups that you have. And I'm sorry that if you have tried that before and you've only been met with rebukes or discouragement, I want you to know that with us, you're not going to find that. You're going to find that where we are. Certainly not going to find that with me. I've never, I don't want to say that there's no such thing as a dumb question. People ask dumb questions all the time. But when it comes to this, there's no such thing as a dumb question. A question that you have that is making you wonder who God really is, a question that you need an answer to that is going to help you more fully trust, that is going to help you just kind of process some uns- There's no such thing as a dumb question there. Absolutely not. And every question deserves an honest, thoughtful answer. That is one of my primary values as a pastor, as a friend, a counselor, a teacher, is that every honest question deserves a thoughtful answer. And so I would encourage you to find some friends, some mentors, some people that you trust, hopefully a church community that can really just kind of help you process those things. And I want you to know that it is absolutely our heart that you would never find criticism or challenge rebuke for asking a question that you need an answer to that is causing you some uncertainty or doubt. Because here's the thing that I believe. I believe God wants to meet you in it. And I believe that there is an answer to that question that can draw you closer to God, that can encourage you and strengthen in you and your faith. So be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with other people. And I would say, I would add to that, expect God to show up both on his own and through his people. And, um, and, I, and I guess I, w- I, would, I would end with this. And be comfortable with tension and be comfortable with uncertainty. I mean, there's always going to be a measure of uncertainty. You could reject everything that you believe right now and believe something else. And there's still going to be a measure of uncertainty. The people who are the most certain, or at least talk like they're the most certain, are very often the people who, in fact, are hiding the most insecurities. The real questions about life and existence and why the world is the way it is and where did it come from and what is the nature of reality and the nature of existence, those are deep questions that don't have straightforward answers. And they're very complicated and require a certain amount of, for lack of a better word, no matter what you believe, a certain amount of faith, a certain amount of trust, a certain amount of I don't have all the answers, but this is, this is what I believe. This is what, I, this is, this is what seems right to me. I think the best any of us are ever going to come up with is that after, after wrestling and thinking and praying and, and talking and meditating, this is, what, this is what seems right to me. This is what seems best to me. This is what I believe. This is what I trust. This is what I'm moving forward with. A level of 100, I, 100% sir, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the way that the world works and there's no other possible explanation. 
Oof. To me, that sounds like someone who hasn't fully engaged with the world yet. There are lots of good reasons to be uncertain about even some of these core truths that we've put out there. It's not, it's not 100% clean. It's not 100% easy. And anybody who is trying to tell you the opposite, they're either lying to you or they are, they are completely disconnected from the human condition and the reality of the world around them. Because life is hard. Life is confusing. There's a lot of uncertainty, but God is calling us to trust. And so in the end, you're honest with yourself. You're honest with others. You're honest with, with God. You expect God to be there. You become comfortable with uncertainty. And ultimately, I learned to trust. So I don't want any of that to seem trite, naive. And I want you to, to understand that, that, that no matter how deep your question is, it is worthy of engagement. And um, I end every episode like this. I'm going to say a little differently. Man, please send me your questions. Please send me your concerns, your heart. I may not be the right person to answer all your questions. There's a lot of questions out there. I, can't, I can help you think through. Maybe some other people would be better to engage with. If there's a list of questions out there that we could be answering or talking about, discussing that can kind of help people, I want to I wanna know what they are. I want to talk about them in this context or on the stage, one-on-one to just kind of help people because I don't want anybody to ever feel like that they are absolutely alone in whatever wrestling they've got. So send anything you want to me at charlie at org. Would love to hear from you and find out kind of what's going on with you and ways that we can help and serve you. And with what's going on at the church, you can connect with us there too. Grovechurch.org slash connect can give you all the info that you need about connecting with us on Sundays or small groups. There's a form you can fill out there that can let us know you're listening. You can join us streaming. If you're not local, you can come to us, join us live in person. We'd love that as well. Um, any way that we can help you serve you, please let us know. And as always, I'm Charlie, lead pastor at The Grove. And thank you for joining us. Thank you.